It's the Bob McCowan Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today with John Shannon and uh, a little bit more hockey. We're not quite finished yet. A, uh, a guy who knows a thing or two about the game has been a coach uh, of a number, what, four or so NHL yeah. teams. We haven't had Bruce on since he left Vancouver, so it's uh, no, exactly. kind of kind of good to, to get him on to talk about. And he and he did work the Stanley Cup final for NHL Network, so we can get some insight from him about what it was like to be in Sunrise, Florida, and in and around the games. Bruce Boudreaux, when we come back after this message. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime plus get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options and get ready to feel like a vip because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make you must be 19 plus available in ontario only please play responsibly if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. We are back in uh, McCowan and Shen, and uh, we, have, uh, we have talked to Bruce Boudreau on several occasions from several locations um, around the world, but uh, this is unique. We have him in his mom's basement in in Toronto. Is that not true? This is this is so true. I'm at my mom's uh, in my mom's basement because my wife and mom are chatting a storm up there, and I'd uh, never get to hear you guys. So, so let's be honest. How many times in your life did your your mother send you to the basement when you were oh. doing something wrong? There's so many times. Matter of fact, it got to be so many times they built me a bedroom down there so I could live down there. And that's where I ended up spending my teenage years. <laughs> and you, you just had to find a way to escape. That's all. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you, you worked some of the Stanley Cup final, but in general, just watched a lot of it. Give me your general thoughts on it. Did you? Well, I mean. It wasn't I very thought, competitive, I didn't think. Was it? Yeah, I thought the beginning, I thought Vegas was much the better team. I mean, um, before the series started, I told the NHL network people that Vegas in five, um, and I, I thought it played true to form because I, they just were stronger in every sense. The only area that, uh, um, I thought Florida might be better other than goal would be because it's supposed to be destiny. I mean, or, you know, like, I mean, the emotional part of it, I thought that Florida, uh, the way they went through the three previous teams, you might have be one of those years where everything bounces right. But they just, uh, they got into a team that just was a better, deeper, faster, um, and smarter. And uh, they didn't have any injuries. So there's really not much chance that I did think that Florida was going to win. Did you think Vegas was this good during the regular season? 
Um, well, when I coached against them, we beat them in Vancouver. So, I mean, uh, it couldn't have been that great. But uh, I thought they were the best team in the league from the All-Star game on. Um, right. I think things – and then when Mark Stone – I mean, was got back in the playoffs. It just added to that puzzle where there was everything was a good fit, and um, and they were completely healthy. and And when they did that, and I mean, uh, I thought that they were the best team. Was there any coincidence that it was two first year coaches, a first year with their team, like like a success? based on the players having a new voice behind the bench, did, how much do you think that helped, Bruce? Well, you know what? It's interesting because I think it helped a lot, but I look around the league all the time, and the, the teams that get the first-year coach are usually do really well. I mean, you, you look at Dallas. I mean, they did really well. Um, you can you can go further down the the roads. Like I mean, when the Rangers had Gallant, they did they did well. I mean, these two guys did well. I mean, uh, I think my first year in Vancouver, we did really well. Um, and so I mean, yeah, I think it it definitely has something to say because they obviously didn't like the previous guy and were playing hard for this for this guy. But 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 and yet, so Pete DeBoer goes from Vegas to Dallas. And because he's a new voice, he gets reinvented too. Yeah, he gets reinvented, and it was good. Like, I mean, you look at Peter Laviolette's record when he joins a first-year team, um, and it happens to all of us. I mean, for some reason, um, after that, I mean, uh, the the life expectancy of a coach, uh, unless you're John Cooper, uh, is, you know, is – relatively five years and under and mm. uh so i mean even if you're a good coach and there's been a lot of good coaches that have been let go but uh, uh it's just the life expectancy isn't that long you were in the building um when kolasar hit matthew kachuk did yeah. you have any sense how vicious the hit was no because it was open ice and it didn't have the impact of a boards thing i thought okay until he stumbled i thought uh oh he must have got him in the head a little bit and uh, it must be a concussion but and in fact it was the sternum that uh, took the beating so i mean uh but you're talking one big man in colasar there's a reason vegas let ryan reeves go when they had colasar i mean uh, they got another guy just as big and strong as as the the previous but, but can you I, I just can't imagine um you've played at this level uh, playing the rest of the game he came back matthew did and played with the broken sternum and and then played all of game four with it although he, you know there were lapses where he didn't play on the ice but he still played more than 12 or 13 minutes Incredible. I watched him so closely the next game because the, the rumor was out that, you know, he might not uh, play or he was hurt. And, and he didn't take a shot in warm-up, not one. And everything he did was below the waist. Like he didn't raise his stick above the the um, his butt, so to speak. Right. And there was one shift in the third period where the whistle blew. And I've seen this happen so many times before, which is why it caught my eye. He started skating to the bench, hope, hope, hoping that uh, the Maurice would take him off. 
Like he was looking at Maurice skating very slowly. I mean, normally Matthew Kachuk is the kind of guy that just goes and says, I don't want to come off the ice ever. But when he took him off, he, he was like, he started to, to scurry to the bench a little quicker. And, and But he was only 15 feet from the bench when he finally pulled the, pulled the switch on him. And then he missed the next 10 and a half minutes. So he must have been hurting so bad. Uh, the shot that he probably got in between periods to numb the pain um, hadn't kicked in yet. So he had to sit on the bench until it sort of kicked in. And then he almost had the tying goal on his stick. So, I mean, this guy's, this guy's a warrior. Well, and then we found out after that uh, uh, Radko Gudis played with a high ankle sprain. Um, and Aaron Ekblad played with two torn obliques and uh, a broken foot. I mean, what these guys go through um, to win, to try to win the Stanley Cup is is truly amazing, isn't it? I find it amazing. I, that's one of the things where I'm so proud of being a hockey player at some point because uh, uh, the courage they show is unlike in any other sport. And uh, um, it's – I just uh, – uh, and, and the lure of winning the Stanley Cup is such a lure. Like, I mean, it's to the point, like, I mean, you'll do anything and to be in the lineup and to, and to play in that thing. I mean, uh, like a little quick story, like uh, when I was there for game one or game three, it was the first time I'd been in a building when the Stanley cup final was there. And, and like all along, I didn't think I belonged. I think you had to earn that to get there. So I really walked very trepidatiously around where I didn't want to see anybody because I just didn't think I belonged there because this is such hollow ground. But during the national anthem, my wife looked at me and she said, you're balling like a baby. And I was crying my eyes out because that was something you dream about your whole life. So all these players, I mean, all these players sit there and, and they're playing through anything and don't, don't take me out of the lineup unless I can't walk. And, that's what makes this sport so beautiful sometimes. You just reminded me of a couple stories. Uh, first of all, I, I don't know if you saw anything post-game uh, on TNT, but Darren, every time Darren Pang asked a question that was semi-emotional, Darren got got choked up asking the question. Yeah. And then our old pal, Harry Neal. You know, I worked with, I worked with Harry for a long period of time, um, and Harry was a lifer just like the rest of us. And he had coached in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but never got to a Stanley Cup playoff behind the bench. Um, and when the cup was given out, I guarantee you, out of the 24, 25 times we were together, there were tears running down Harry's face every time. He was so emotional about that single moment of his career, his life, and the fact that here comes the Stanley Cup one more time. I agree. I can, look at I. I turned the TV off with ten minutes to go in the third. I couldn't as much as uh, I was excited, and I, I, I'm so happy for George McPhee and all of those things that uh, I just can't watch the, those guys on that time celebrating so much when you've dreamed your whole life of doing it. So I know exactly how Harry feels. Um, the next morning, I got up and watched the highlights, and I was crying like crazy as soon as they. The puck, you know, as soon as they jump over the boards, it's a feeling that every guy that's ever put on a uniform or played the game 
would would want. And um, I don't know if it's a, like that in any other sport, but uh, I know the feeling is great winning anything. But this is the 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 winning the cup for what you have to go through is a is quite a testament to everybody. Well, this you guys talking about injuries in the Stanley Cup is final, but in in the playoffs overall. We've seen this for 50 years, 100 years, as long as we've lived. It's almost a cultural thing. It's like it's like a player knows you get hurt in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You play through it almost no matter what it is, don't you? Absolutely. Like when I was with the Leafs playing in the 70s and we were playing in the playoffs, I remember Lanny McDonald getting um, needles in his wrist because his wrist was bad and you could hear – like it was huge needles and uh, going in both of his wrists and, uh, and they would just do it like in the stick room. Right. I remember doing it in the forum and he was doing it right in the stick room and you could see the doctors with the stuff and you go, man, you do anything you can to win. So, I mean, these, that's what these guys do. Yeah. So your, your teams that went to the conference final, the Anaheim team, any guys jump out of you that were that were injured that that you you almost had to make a decision whether they could play the game or not and they said no coach I'm in um you know it's a good question and I right off the top of my head I can't uh remember but I think I would think that there was a lot of guys is I mean that were beat up in that because I mean we used to sort of take pride in that Anaheim team took pride on who had the most ice bags on their body after a game. <laughs> and so like, I mean, they'd say, Oh, okay. Kess, you got four ice bags on you're the winner tonight. Uh, you know, I mean, Getzley, you only had two, so that's not good. So they were all playing with pain. Well, Ryan Kessler. Uh, I mean, he, he, I mean, he was a legendary guy of whether it be in Anaheim or being in Vancouver, of playing with unbelievable pain and injury through these kind of playoffs, wasn't he? Yeah, like, I mean, I, recalling his hips were so bad right then. But uh, um, he still played, and he didn't complain about them. I mean, he might have had treatment on them and fit in, and did anything he could to get through it. But, I mean, here's a guy that, you know, his career was over after that year because his, uh, cause he needed hip surgery and couldn't couldn't function. Yeah. Um, we have we have heard a lot from experts during the playoffs and since about how good the, the Vegas defense was, and there's almost no doubt it's as good, maybe better than anybody else in the National Hockey League. But the truth of the matter is, this Vegas team scored what four goals a game during the playoffs. Uh, that's a lot. Um, you know, even in uh, today's era, uh, this is a very good team from top to bottom, is it not? Oh, it's a great team. And, I mean, uh, thinking four goals a game is is incredible. I mean, um, but the balance they had, Bob, the, the biggest thing about that is, is one line, uh, they had the – the the balance like I mean I know you didn't know who you, and you, I've you, always been a huge believer yeah. yeah and they all played the same way they were all two hundred foot uh, uh, players and the thing I liked even more about it was when you have a good fourth line and you have a line that you can take all the defensive zone faceoffs and you have faith in them you win 
And it just boggles my mind, boggles my mind why um, GMs can't see uh, that and, and build their team accordingly like that four lines deep rather than being top heavy on having great, great players, but just average bottom players. And um, their defense was built the same way. I mean, uh, it, it, it's crazy. If you look at all the cup winners in recent years and the teams that got into the finals, their defense are big. And you could see in the last two games, there's no penalties called. So uh, yeah, that's them, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This Vegas team I mean, got almost no penalties. The whole, almost the whole series. Well, no, Hey, yeah. listen, I mean, Vegas for a team that plays a physical style uh, and the defense are as big as you talk about Bruce. This is the team that was, the least penalized team in the National Hockey League all season long. This was right, no exactly. surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And well, that's, that's something that's, Bruce stresses. Yep. That's, that's, I guess that's good coaching, but it's, you know, it's mm. also really smart playing, is it not? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go back and watch the highlights of anything in this series, every time there was a scrum, especially the first two games, the Vegas forwards had their arms down by their sides. And they would take a punch in the face because they knew that in the end they'd be partying last night. Whereas Florida was was punching and doing all the punching, but they were so disciplined they knew the reward was much greater than the little punch that they would take in the head. So if you have a choice, and we've seen uh, Stanley Cup championship teams built different ways, would you want a a spectacular goaltender and a good defense or a spectacular defense and a good goaltender? I would take um, the spectacular defense or the, and the good goaltender, because no matter how good you are in goal, these guys have open opportunities. They put the puck in the net because they're so good. And, uh, but if you've got a great defense you can defend and not, and you could limit those great opportunities almost every game. Because, so, because in essence, that the defense and Bob and I talked about this a lot throughout the playoffs was, in the end, what Vegas did was they made Aiden Hill look good. And now that wasn't to say I mean he was very good, and give him give him credit for making some unbelievably good saves, but the amount of opportunities that he had versus the other goalie he was facing were minimal compared to what what the what what uh, the Vegas forwards put on the the opposition goaltender don't you think I do agree and think of it think of this for a second like anybody that plays goal at that level is great athletically can make the great saves the the great goalies now control rebounds and do everything else so you take Aiden Hill I think he was 26th out of 28 um, in allowing rebounds, okay? He can make the great save just like everybody else can make the great save. But when he was in San Jose in Arizona, those rebounds were a problem and he would get scored on. You take the Vegas defense, cleared all those rebounds. They didn't get second opportunities, very rarely. And so yeah. even though he was still giving up rebounds, he was, they, they weren't, it wasn't like you're playing in Arizona or San Jose because nobody else was getting to them and I think that's that's a big difference I mean uh, about the great defense but I mean these goalies when you get to that level they're all athletically great you know mm -hmm. and I mean it's it's like rebounds and that they give up that uh, uh, they can't control as well as other goalies 
And they're also huge. And they're all huge. Uh, Ian yeah. Clark, yeah. our goalie coach in uh, Van, would always, you know, if you were under six foot, he's a Smurf, you know, and he wants all big goalies. And I, I can see that as, I, you know, I mean, Saros is probably the only, or not Saros, who's the goalie in Nashville? You see Saros. You see Saros, yeah. Yeah, outstanding that's under six foot. I remember seeing a picture many years ago of Gump Worsley with the Montreal Canadiens in goal. I think beside him was, I can't remember who the goaltender was that was beside him in goal, a modern-day goalie. And the difference in size was astounding. And the amount the amount of goal that you could see if you were coming down on Worsley one-on-one versus somebody else, it was ridiculous. Well, that's what, you know, back in Bruce's day, you know, the goaltender that you played in front of Mike, Mike Palmateer and, you know, in the Stanley cup playoffs, it would be the, uh, the Maple Leafs and Canadians. And it was Mike at what was Mike five, nine and Ken Dryden six foot four. Probably. Yeah. 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 And even take it a step further, watch the interviews and look at Darren Pang <laughs> talking to anybody. <laughs> he was my goalie in Nova Scotia and in Chicago and he's five, six at the best. Yeah. Uh, you know he's going to be mad at you because he's going to say he's five eight. Yeah, well, you. he knows he knows he's lying. Yeah, <laughs> mind you, you know even Dryden, who was huge or considered huge at the time, you know if you looked at him and the equipment, especially oh, yeah. at that time compared to now, it's night and day. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean they got so much. Uh, I mean the advantage they had back then, the equipment was much smaller, but they could cheat a little bit more with you know like Tony Esposito had the netting under his arms and in between his legs and that. But the equipment now to go along with the size, you see some of these goalies, they, they look like uh, like they're so big up top because they got so much padding with the protection and that. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, listen, there are people that are listening to the podcast or watching it um, and listening to you talk about Tony Esposito with fishnet under his arms. Uh, and they think you're lying, that, that you, they think that you're making this stuff up. And how could the NHL allow this? But we all know it's true. I mean, every, almost yeah. every goaltender at that point was cheating, right? Everyone. I mean, five whole goals weren't that uh uh, weren't that popular because you were going to get it into in the netting a lot of the time. Antonio would find any ways to to cheat to make him better, and it worked. Uh, and congratulations to him for it because he was way beyond uh, ahead of his time when doing that. Well, I know you're one of your compatriots in Vancouver these these last couple of years, John Garrett. His sweater was so long that when he went down there it, it was almost like a dress so it covered the five hole and there was no yeah. and so it, his sweater would actually catch the puck <laughs> between his legs that's amazing but that's great that's great thinking of within the rules by the goaltenders sure well they they closed that loophole uh, bruce they, oh i'm <laughs> sure they they did <laughs> listen i know I'm, I'm i'm guessing you probably haven't thought much about this but do you think this Vegas team has the potential to be a multiple Stanley Cup winner? Well, I think if you look, Bob, almost the whole team is coming back next well, year. Well, that's what that's what I mean. Yeah, like I mean, if they could find a way to get, you know, uh, 
Barbashev is one UFA. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anybody else. I think all six defensemen are coming back. I mean, um, I, the one of the things we worry about is Leonard's, you know, got a five-year deal. I don't know if he'll be healthy enough to come back, but if he comes back, he's got to have a spot, no matter if he weighs 300 pounds or if he's in shape, you know. Well, he has to have a spot because he's got these – Taking home a big number, I guess. You know that, that that would be the only reason. That would be the only reason. But I got to believe that the, they got the the one kid um, that uh, is a very good goaltender that was injured, very young too. L- Logan Aiden Thompson, Hill, yeah. Logan Thompson, Aiden Hill's a UFA. He's another one. But uh, let's face it, he's he's going to have to get a big raise. Vegas can't afford to give too many people big raises because I, I think the, with the yeah, with the cap situation. So, but if I'm Aiden Hill too, I'm taking advantage of this because it might be his only time to make the money that he can get is yeah. uh, signing with somebody. So, I mean, I would jump at it if I was him. And and don't forget, they, you know, this was the coming out party in so many ways uh, for Jack Eichel. Uh, and 100. I mean, I I don't I mean you you saw him play a lot in Buffalo. And I think there were a lot of people that thought he's never going to reach any level like he did in the last playoffs for Vegas. But he ha- he was spectacular after the first game of the playoffs. Let, let me tell you about Jack Eichel a little bit. In, and all stuff you know. In Buffalo, he was asked to be a different player. He was asked to be Connor McDavid. He was asked to be the goal scorer. And so when things weren't working for him, you could frustrate him easily. He really could. Where to the point where he'd say, ah, the hell with it, you know. And But in Vegas, his game turned right around. Like, I mean, it wasn't about points. He still has all that talent that got points, but it wasn't about it. Like, I watched him closely, and he, like, I mean, if he made a rush and things didn't work out, he was the first man back as F3 uh, being in the defensive zone. When we first started playing Vegas last year and this year, it, where we had success is we would sit, uh, sick somebody on him and make him frustrated because he'd give the puck up and then he would be a non-factor in the game. And it, and it worked for us, but he changed his game. And I give credit to Bruce and the coaches for that. To, to understand what it meant like that he would get just as much satisfaction of not getting a hundred points, but winning than the other way around. And whatever happened, he turned out to be a great player. Hey Bruce, how much, how much of what particularly in this two month window uh, and we, and we talk about Bruce Cassidy and what he did and obviously he did a great job, but how much is the people in that dressing room? And how much is a guy like Mark Stone and Jonathan Marchessault and the veteran players, you know, leaning over to Jack Eichel saying you have to do better or, and, or leading by example. Is, is this players helping players versus the hierarchy of a coach versus players? I think it's a real combination of both. You can't have one without the other and have success. If you don't have a good room, if you don't have the leadership in the room that's caring about everybody, then you're never going to win. And uh, when the coach goes in there, like I've heard stories uh, in Montreal when they won the Cup in 89 um, from a great source, one of the players, say when the coach left the room, 
Larry Robinson would stand up and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to do it his way and blah, blah, blah. But they were all united. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you don't have a united dressing room, then whatever the coach says isn't going to make sense. So the coach had to have great relationships with the leaders who then passes it on to the rest of the players and they all buy into that scenario. Cause I, cause I can't imagine being in the same room with Mark Stone and not wanting to follow him into a game. I really can't. I mean, he just, to me, he exudes everything you want in a hockey player as a teammate and certainly as a coach. Yeah. And, Consider he's the sixth round pick. Come on. Like, I mean, they had to know, like Kelly McCrimmon had him in Brandon Jr. So he knew exactly what he was trading for. I can't believe that nobody else would, you know, put the, um, uh, put the, the emphasis on character, hockey smarts and skill and, and didn't do all it. And just because the guy wasn't a great skater, right. he could drop that far. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Listen, guys, we've got to take a break, but we're more than halfway done. Bruce Boudreaux is with us. We'll be back right after this. Spring is here, and so are the long days, warm weather, and yard work. If you're anything like me, then you know how easy it is to get behind on your spring to-do list. But Factor is here to help. The number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your door, saving you time to get the things you need to do done. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. We offer delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles like keto to calorie smart, vegan, or veggie. With over 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. Head to factormeals.com slash bobcast50 and use code bobcast50 to get 50% off of your first box. That's code bobcast50 at factormeals.com slash bobcast50 to get 50% off of your first box. We're with uh, Gabby, Bruce Boudreaux. Listen, um, my sense is that Vegas has become not, not just the Stanley Cup champions, but a popular place for players to want to play. Uh, and uh, we shouldn't be that surprised. I mean, the crowds have been fantastic. They're, the games are energetic. The team has been good since day one. Um, I lived there, you know, and so I know it's a, a great place to live. Um, do you agree? Do you think Vegas is probably, like if you were going to go around to players, especially free agents, and ask if you can play anywhere, where would you play? Would Vegas be at or near the top of the list? If you if you um, can count out hometowns, okay? Yeah. Like, I mean, let's just say, I mean, a Toronto boy might want to be in Toronto, for example. But, I mean, Vegas would be at the top of everybody's list, along with Dallas and Florida. Any st- Tennessee, <laughs> any team that doesn't have state tax, they're there. But, I mean, also, you know one thing about the ownership and the management of uh, Vegas is they're there to win. So if you've got, if you're a guy that wants to win and you, and you've got that cachet where you can say I can go most places, but I want to win, Vegas would probably be in the top two or three on your list on any team. As a visiting coach, was Vegas a distraction to go to? I don't think so. You know what? I mean, uh, 
Uh, I played in all six years against them, and we've only lost one game. So, I mean, uh, a lot of times, you know, teams will have a rookie party there or something like that, but it's if they have time off and you they play the guilty game, you know, like, I mean, yeah, the coach let us run tonight and had a good time, so we're going to make sure that they want to do it again and uh, uh, that we can do it again. And so uh, I've never found it a distraction. Um, uh, I think, you know, the, there's a lot of glitter and everything else, and you could make it and go out all night long if you wanted to. But my teams, uh, you know, good or bad, have been pretty good in Vegas. The, the only game we lost was a 3-2 game to them that we should have won. You know, because the, the different different managers and coaches have different philosophies. Lots of guys wanted to be in and out in a day. And the other other guy said, no, let's give them three days there and and we'll we will have the rookie party and give them an extra day off in Vegas. So it it, 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 it I think it actually changed over the six years of how teams manage their travel in and out of Las Vegas. I, I agree with you. And um uh I, I guess it's how they handle it uh, the first time is whether they get a chance to do it a second time. So they always want to do it a second time. So they handle it. Good. And we had our rookie party in van there this year and all the players went golfing at that wind course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, like it cost a thousand bucks or something to get on. And they ended up uh, uh, having a great time, great meal and everything. We ended up and we had back to back games in Vegas and in Colorado and, and we won both those games. So, I mean, uh, I would have liked them to party every day, quite frankly, <laughs> and I might still be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned George McPhee. Uh, you have a, you've had a long relationship with George. Um, tell me what you uh, and I know you didn't watch the last 10 minutes, but. Uh, tell us about your relationship with McPhee and, and, and what he means to you and, and what he means to the game. Well, I love the guy, first of all. And, I mean, you don't say that too many times when a guy fires you. But uh, um, he gave me my first chance and probably would have been the only guy to ever give me a chance at that point. And, uh, uh, and he stood with me. I remember the, after the first 10 days when I was there, he says, I want you to be my coach for a long time. And then, and when he did eventually let me go, I know it wasn't him that wanted it. I know it was the ownership that wanted uh, uh, the change. And he gave me a big hug and uh, not too many guys hug you when you get fired and said, hopefully we'll work together again. And so I've always used him for me as a mentor, as if if I needed, uh, if I was struggling with something, whether I was in Anaheim, uh, Minnesota, or uh, Vancouver, I would always call him, and he would give me great advice. And uh, so, I mean, uh, and what he's meant to the game is you're never going to find a man with more integrity. You, you look at George, he says and does the right things. I remember when we won the Calder Cup, quick story, he turned around to me in the plane, and he said, he said, enjoy the process. That's where it all is, is the process of getting there. It's not just the win. And like, I mean, you could even see him from what uh, my wife told me uh, in the last game. He's walking around the ice and, you know, still with the, the calmness and the coolness. He'd pat somebody on the back. But he would, that's just the way George is. And, uh, uh, and one heck of an intelligent 
hockey guy, but he thinks everything. And obviously when Kelly McCrimmon was a surprise hiring for him, but it was the right one. So he knew what he was doing there too. Yeah. You were, you were a, um, you went in deep in playoffs with George. You're the coach and he's the manager. How much involvement day to day during a playoff series would you have with him? Very little. We would sit and talk, you know, he would come down after a practice uh, um, and, you know, ask me questions, but he, he let the coaches coach. That's one thing you love about George. He did not, I've had many or a few managers uh, in that, since that time come down and, and do this and do that and just uh, like really interfere. But George was never one to interfere. He would ask you questions and he, his biggest thing was do the thing that you think will help us win. And that, that was the biggest thing for him. He didn't care if I was sitting um, the, the top player or the bottom player. When I went to the minors and it started in, in, in Hershey, he said, I don't care if it's a first-round pick or a, or a walk-on. If the first-round pick isn't as good as the next guy, we're not playing him. We're, we're here to win, and we're developing through winning. And that's what I loved about one of the things I loved about him is, is he wanted to win and he thinks the best way to develop is to win. And I totally agree. Well, I don't know how many expansion franchises there will be in the future, but McPhee sort of changed the way an expansion franchise should be built. It uh, should be done on day one with the way he did Vegas, because what he did at Vegas in those first few weeks was unlike any anyone else had ever done with an expansion franchise was it not oh yeah yeah i mean everything was so thought out from his picks to where he wanted to play them and fits and like i mean i i bet like i mean he would and i have no idea on this but i'm betting that when they're doing the expansion draft he's going okay we need this guy and this guy to be our number one D, this one to be our goalie, and he picks Flurry right away. And um, he knew what he was doing. He knew the team he was trying to build from the expansion draft on. Well, he also knew that there was more than one way to get a guy. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so he was not afraid to make trades or do things uh, that were that ultimately all wound up being positive for the Vegas Golden Knights. And um, yeah, I think no, you, no. you, you got to respect that, don't you? I respect everything he did like i mean he's tough like i mean he would the one thing about george is he's not afraid to make the tough decisions whether you like it or not right He'll protect you if it's necessary but i mean getting rid of flurry must have been a very very difficult decision but they knew they had to do it if they wanted to continue to go on the on the course that they were going right so i mean um to get a rid, get rid of Suzuki because they wanted Pacioretty to get rid of all these high draft choices because they needed to go over and and get Eichel and Petrangelo and Stone and pay them all big money. Th- these are tough moves to make, and they found ways to fit them in under the cap, and um, and, and they did it. But those those are that takes courage, you know. Sure, it does. Can you can you see with with your time you spent with him in Washington? And the way the Vegas Golden Knights have been built, can you see similar fingerprints? Whether it be, I mean, not everybody's got an Alex Ovechkin, but the way the team was constructed in Washington versus the way the team was constructed in Vegas. 
Um, oh, they're very big similarities. I mean, um, first of all, size was a big thing. George, if you look at any team that George has had, they're big and they're fast. And I look at Vegas, they're big and they're fast. That's not coincidence. I mean, it, our defense wasn't anywhere near as talented as the Vegas defense in Washington. But I mean, you know, you had Sean Morrison at 6'3", Jeff Schultz at 6'5". Mm-hmm. You know, you, you had your Faith Theodore was Mike Green. Like, I mean, they're very similar. We had four, we were four lines deep. And I mean, I could put out, you know, Steckle, Bradley and, and Gordon uh, and any period of time in, in on faceoffs in our own zone and feel comfortable. Um, our penalty killing was really good. Vegas's penalty killing was really good. Our power play was the best in the league. I mean, maybe because we had Alex and maybe because at that time, 13, 14 years ago, we were doing something different. Everybody knows what Washington does now, so they're not as good. But it's, uh, I mean, this is all George. And I look at Vegas, I see the comparisons. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. What about you? What about uh, Gabby Boudreau? What are your, uh, do you have plans for um, uh, the next little while? Uh, have you talked you have to you? Uh, I'm sorry. Do you have room? Do you have room for a third guy in that podcast? <laughs> you never know. You never know. Let's think about it. Um, um, no, right now, like, obviously, like, I mean, um, I didn't get any of the, the coaching jobs that are available, but I mean, uh, I'm, you know, I still want to coach like it's crazy, but I mean, I, yeah. I know I have the energy. Uh, I have the, I think my best skill is communication. I've seen everybody where I look, everybody seems to say that that's a big, big key. And I get along well with all the, the young kids, but I mean, I love it so much. I, I would, I would love to get back into it if it's possible. If not, I really like doing the TV stuff. I mean, it's fun. I get to watch hockey and talk to hockey people all the time and the people I work with at the NHL network are really good people but I mean anything to do with hockey I just don't want to sit at home and do nothing but and all I know is hockey so so if I could if I could do whatever I can do in in the hockey world is what I will do you you talked about uh, being able to communicate with young people um, you know, those of us that are in our 60s, you know, to talk to a 22-year-old is a lot different than to talk to a 32-year-old. Uh, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you do that? Well, first of all, this is going to sound really silly, but these junior teams that I've had um, for the last seven years, I mean, uh, I have to go in there and talk to them and make them understand all the time. Um, uh, just working at our hockey school every year, I communicating i get to and i think i'm mentally about 25 years old anyway so i mean uh, uh, i don't think i've grown up in that department but i mean when i look back and i look at and just taking vancouver players i got along with ellis Peterson. i mean the young guys that uh, uh were great i mean i can go back to minnesota and all the erickson x and all of those guys seem to be the uh, the Greenways and the, the Luke Cunnins at the time and uh, were the guys that, I mean, I really think improved. And, you know, in Washington, I grew up with all the the, the Backstroms and, and the Greens and the Ovechkins were all babies when I got there. And and even in Anaheim, uh, all the, the young guys that we had that we ended up, that we grew up with from Camp Fowler to Hampus Lindholm, all of those guys were, were guys that I thought that my best traits were making them better. 
And so, I mean, it's, it's sometimes, I mean, if you, if those 22 year olds wanted to talk music with me, I'm out to lunch, but Mm. if they wanted to talk hockey and how to explain it to them and everything, I can explain it to them in their language. Do you think they, they, the younger guys understand the history of the game and more importantly, is it, is it key to understand the history of the game in order to be better? I, I don't think it's key to be better, but I don't think they understand the history of the game either. And they don't, and they, should they? They, they don't, I think they should. I, I mean, I certainly, when I was 21, wanted to know everything about my past and the, the game's past. And I remember asking, and this is, they were, they were lying and I was in Anaheim and I won't say the player, but he was lying on the training table and I was talking about Guy Lafleur and this guy had never heard of him. So and I'm in astounded. Yeah, I was astounded wow. and upset that a guy like if I was an account, I want I would want to know everything about accounting and 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 how it came from A to B to to get to where it was or any business. And so I was pretty shocked when I heard stuff like that. You know, Ron Wilson, uh, another guy that coached in Anaheim, but Ron Wilson, when he came to Toronto, I don't know if you remember this, Bob, but he used to give his guys quizzes all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and he and and the only the only way that he would uh, allow a player to wear a wear a, a, an A on his sweater was if he could get ten for ten on the quiz. <laughs> really? I yeah. didn't ever heard that. <laughs> I'm not sure there'd be any guys if we sat down. I'm not sure there'd be any guys in the in the NHL that would get ten for ten on any hockey quiz these days. No, no, especially if Ronnie started talking about Providence and and American hockey rather than than you know growing up in Toronto hockey. Type no, thing. no, this way. By the way, it, 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 I'm glad you mentioned that. It was all Maple Leafs history. Oh, really? It was all like, who's wow. this player? Who's this player? Well, that's Johnny Bauer. That's who? Um, well, you better know Johnny Bauer if you're going to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? You know, uh, quick story. Me and Ronnie, we lived together in his first year and uh, with his wife. And uh, uh, and we would have these talks. We would sit and talk for hours about the history of the game. And, I mean, he was a real historian. He knew about it. You know, he had his uncles playing and everything else and uh, stuff. So we would have yeah. great conversations. And you could tell. I mean, he was a hockey guy through and through. Never, we never asked you who was your favorite player as a kid. Frank Mahovlich. And yet you're like you're a little different build than Frank Mahovlich. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's a little he's he's a little taller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, it's funny because I remember I was in, I think I was in seventh grade at the time or sixth grade when they traded him to Detroit. Oh. I wrote in all my textbooks, I will never like the Leafs again, and which was a total lie. But, I mean, he was my favorite guy, and uh, I just, you know, I don't know what it was about him, but he was he was my guy. Okay, so trivia question, if we're going to get your history, who'd they trade him for? Do you remember? Um, let's see. Norm Ullman, Hal yep. Henderson, yep. Floyd yep. Smith. Lloyd Smith. And, and I think there was one more. And there was one more. Um, a defenseman. I don't know who it was. Wasn't Gary Unger part of that trade? Gary Unger. Um, I think he was. Yeah, he might have been. Yeah, yeah he was. I, th- I think Unger. he went. I think he, he, yeah, I think he came and played for the Leafs 
out of the yeah. Detroit chains. So, yeah. So no, I, mm. that I, we could go trivia questions. We could go all night on trivia. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, well we you know grew, what? My, my 24 year old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sorry. my 24 year old son is a hockey historian. You could ask him anything from the forties, fifties, sixties. And like, I mean, he, uh, as Asperger's, but I mean, so when he studies something, he went, he goes all in on all of these things. And every time I see him, he says, dad, you want some trivia? You want some trivia? And he gives me impossible trivia that no one could ever know. But I mean, uh, he knows all that stuff. And so that, I mean, he keeps me on my toes every day for that. I wonder why players today don't have that connection with the history of the sport the way we did when we were younger. It doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like if you're a hockey player, you're growing up in the game. It's your livelihood. It's you probably it's probably with you 24 hours a day, and yet how how can you do that and not realize what has happened in the years before you? I don't know. I I, I don't understand it. Uh, um, I mean, it's the same thing, Bob. Is as you ask probably most young hockey players right now about other sports, and they don't know about other sports. Right. But we used to grow up watching baseball playing baseball knowing everything about that knowing football the well, cfl sure. golf all of those things we were all in tune to but now everything that what they do is they just focus on on their present day hockey and not past stuff well and the other thing is i think we have to be respectful <laughs> when we talk about who your favorite player was in frank mahovlich and who bob's was mine was andy bathgate i loved i just loved andy bathgate but when you ask somebody who's starting out in the NHL who your favorite player is, they might say somebody from, you know, the 2007 Anaheim Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> they might say yeah. Ryan Getzlaff. And I'm going to go, oh, my God, am I old. Holy smokes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I used to go through that with the Wendell Clarks and the Rick Vives, but now it's you're talking about uh, and Fedorovs, and they don't even know who they are anymore. I mean, it's, uh, it's exactly. crazy. Exactly. Uh, listen, guys, we got to get out of here. We're uh, out of time. You're heading back to Hershey when? Soon? You in Probably Friday now? morning. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm I'm just here for two days. Uh, uh, just trying to take care of my mom. And you know, when you're 90 years old and you have no transportation, sometimes it's difficult to get around. I hear you. Well, we we say hello for us, and we hope she's doing great. And uh, we uh, we thank you very much as always. For coming on and joining us it was fantastic and we'll uh we'll bother you somewhere down the road okay anytime bob and john you know i you know for you guys to do most anything so thanks very much we appreciate it. you too yeah. see ya that's bruce boudreau okay thanks we'll be, guys thanks we'll be back in a moment when was the last time everyone agreed on what's for dinner you want chinese food they want pizza and someone is always craving froyo well there's something for everyone on DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with our default contactless delivery setting. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more 
when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BOBCAST23. That's 25% off, up to $10 in value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BOBCAST23. Don't forget, that's code BOBCAST23 for 25% off of your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Our thanks to uh, Gabby himself, Bruce Boudreaux, for being with us. He does love talking hockey, doesn't he? I mean, he's one of those guys that... Loves talking, period. Have you uh, have you ever played golf with him? Sure I have. I yep. mean, that, that's... He's, he's a great guy just to walk or ride in the cart with just to sit and next thing you know he's waxing stories about you know jimmy gregory or his time in the in the minors and oh i think i think he's been involved in 17 different organizations in his career as really? a player and coach at how many at, at least four professional levels that, exactly. that's how that's how committed this guy was to get back to the nhl as a player well, it was a time when there weren't that many jobs in the NHL, and and you did have guys who spent their almost entire career in the minors and played all over, probably for very little money and very little attention. But and, but be, be honest, be honest with me. You, you remember Bruce as a player? You, I sure I do. As, as, with the Marlies and then with the Leafs and the WHA, Bruce was a bit of a flake. Bruce was a little different. But he and, was also he was also a guy that. For whatever reason, the Leaf organization they did didn't akin to him. Well, he was he, he was, you, you know, you, you, we talk about it in baseball terms of being a Triple A player or a Major League Baseball or a four A guy. He was a four A guy. Yeah, I think that's probably fair, but you know, they used to say his skating wasn't good enough. But the one thing that he could do was score goals. And he was his hands were well unbelievable. He, he was great with the puck, exactly. Yeah. But did, did you ever think up. he could coach, though? Would you, Bob, if I would have said, pick well, a guy I, from that late 70s Leaf team that's not going to be a coach, Bruce Boudreau would have been on my list. Really? I, I don't think I would have. I, I don't even think I would have thought about it. Yeah. Well, you know? that, that that speaks volumes, too. You know, I knew him personally as well as, you know, his hockey career. You know, we, we actually played ball hockey together when he was in Toronto. He was probably a great ball hockey player. We used to play on Sunday mornings <laughs> at 9 a.m. in uh, in the in the parking lot of a of an industrial plaza, and uh, you know Paul Mature also used to play then too. So we had two Leafs that could come out and play with us. Boy, Although things Paul, have changed, huh? You know, things have changed dramatically. Paul Mature would never play goal in ball hockey, though. No, why would you do that? He, all he the always, friend, all my friends that that are goaltenders in the NHL or were goaltenders in the NHL, if they had a chance to go out and play forward, whether it be in practice or somewhere else, yep. they loved they loved being out skating. Well, that was Palmy for sure. Uh, Gabby, of course, didn't play goals, so there's that. Um, hey, tomorrow, hey, tomorrow, George McPhee tomorrow. Yeah, that's nice. Hope he'll yeah. get some sleep tonight. You know, he he probably you know he won't have sleep. He will not have slept before we do the interview. I guarantee you, he's still going. He's popping the champagne still somewhere in Maybe. Summerlin, Nevada. The general manager, or well, not really the general manager. President. The president, president now. Yep, yep. Of the uh, Golden Knights, the Stanley Cup champions. We'll do that tomorrow. We hope you'll join us. For John Shannon, Bob McGowan, have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.